Huh. You know, I, I feel like I've been here like already. Like, what do like you in, like some kind of? I feel like I'm in some kind of like a multiverse or something. Like, you know, you know, I don't know. It feels like I've been here already. Like, maybe it's just weird because I was. I don't know. Because you've been on your Oculus all day. <laughs> back, come back to the real world. Man, the real world sucks. <laughs> I'm just gonna say, I want to go back. Hey. <laughs> How are you, Jolyn? You know, I'm great for this uh, Tuesday. You know. All right. Well, we got a pretty good uh, show for everybody today. So, you ready to get into it? I'm ready. All right. Well, let's get it started. What's up, everybody? I'm Mark Monroe, accompanied by my wonderful co-host, co-producer, co-creator, and all things, you know, just creative today. And you're going to see some pretty, I'm in my creative vibes right now, but, you know, I wouldn't be, you know, I wouldn't be here if it wasn't from, did I already just say part of your intro? Because I feel like I've said that. I feel like it's all running in together. So let's, I know, let's run that. To say my name yet. That's all I know. <laughs> <laughs> Let's run that back. So, what's good, y'all? Welcome to Executive Education. You know, here at the Come Up Series, where we provide you with nothing but solid education that you can pick up today and use tomorrow. So, I'm accompanied by my wonderful co-host, co-producer, co-creator, and all things galactic. Give it up for none other than the wonderful. It's Jalen GC in the place to be. What does it, cousins? On this fine Tuesday. Yes, but Tuesday kind of like feels like Groundhog Day for me for some reason. But, you know, you know what I think it is? It's probably because I had the opportunity of being on Monday Night Take last night with Lawrence and one one other than Miss Tiara. And it was an amazing show. A lot of great discussion. And so we got to keep that energy flowing and keep it going. So we got a lot to get into. So without further ado, let's just go ahead and cue that intro. Right, all right, all right. So let's just get some of the obvious stuff out of the way. Like, you know, go ahead and hit that like button and subscribe down below, as well as if you want to be in the know, just like who was it today? Who do you know who it was? Yeah, WL. All right. None other than just like simple words with just saying peace. And I say it back to you too. Peace. All right. So uh, if you want to be in the know and if you want us to shout you out, you got to be first in the chat. So that way we can, you know, just give you a, a wonderful cousin shout out. So uh, we got a lot to get into today and not so much time. So don't worry. It's not going to be super duper like, you know, it, we're going to keep it dialogue focused, but we got some homework for you at the end. So today is all about value propositions. So I think it's time for us to just go ahead and cue that presentation, shall we? Yeah, I'm ready. All right, all right, all right. So, Jolyn, today, so if you notice, we've been going on this 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 thing, right? We started off with business models, mm-hmm. and then we got into product market fit. I think we did that last week. And mm-hmm. so this week, we're actually moving into value proposition, which kind of closes out that cluster. If you kind of notice what we've been doing here at the Come Up Series, we've been doing executive education within clusters of knowledge. So that way, it's something for everybody. 
and at the same token, digestible information and learning. And of course, you know, something that, again, you can pick up and take with you the very next day. So um, let's get started. So when we think about value proposition, Jolyn, you know, just it's a clear statement that describes the benefits that a product or service offers to customers and how it's unique from its competitors. So it's pretty much like, okay, hey, what value do you bring to the customer? And also how is it that it, it differentiates itself from everybody else out there in the market? It's that sauce and that juice. Yes, which really what we talked about in business models a few weeks ago where we were talking about that stickiness, this is what really yeah. makes anything in any business model super duper sticky. So we're gonna get into a little bit of the weeds here because and, and here's the reason why. Uh, shout outs to our cousins that are watching us from LinkedIn. Uh, we salute you. Um, but the reason why we thought that this would be cool to definitely discuss this topic is because of the fact that, especially for beginning investors, or if you've been, you know, even if you've been trading for X amount of time, or if you've been invested into the market, it's always a good, you know, refresher, or it's a good uh, thing for you to carry within your toolbox whenever you're putting together a thesis or when you're trying to understand you know, the, the validity of a company or understand exactly its impact or what makes it impactful or also what gives it its staying power. Uh, so this is going to be very much so, you know, crucial. So let's like, let's talk about it a little bit more. Um, and I hope you guys are loving that wonderful art there too, as well. So understanding a value proposition helps us differentiate from competitors, appeal to target audiences and increase conversations. So, you know, when a person or when a, when an entity understands your value proposition very well and they can connect to it it kind of like starts to bring the conversation a lot closer. You'll tend to find when people do not understand the value proposition or when there's a disconnect there, you tend to find that essentially that either the conversation kind of has a significant amount of blockers that you tend to have to fight through. Now, for entrepreneurs that are watching this or for founders that are watching this, this is good for you too because you probably have been either pitching to investors or to other folks and trying to get them to understand exactly your business and not having that strong value proposition, like because many times a lot of entrepreneurs make the mistake of what's the value proposition of what I think versus what's the value proposition for what your customers think. So I think that this is going to be very much so crucial. All right. So let's let's get more into the, the importance of it. Um, so and for those of you that are listening in on Spotify or Apple Music, you know how we do it. We're going to read it for you so that way you're not lost in the sauce. Uh, so the importance uh, of a value proposition is a strong value proposition helps attract and retain customers, differentiate your business from, uh, from competitors, and increase conversations. So when we think about it, right, like let's, let's, let's put it into a little bit of real world, shall we? So when we think about like a, a real world scenario, uh, it kind of reminds me of a company called Dollar Shave uh, Club. Okay. Now they have a very strong value proposition, uh, which has helped the company grow from a small startup to a multi-billion dollar company. And especially within a short uh, period of time. So if we look at it, the value proposition is focused on offering affordable and quality razors. Like, you know, and then on top of that, deliver straight to the customer store. So you don't have to go to the store. Um, so that's significant value there, which we're going to get into. And then on top of that, it's affordable. And at the same token, it's high quality. So you're not, you're not having to trade high quality for something that costs cheaper, which is very much so interesting. Um, and so that's, that's a strong value proposition. Now let's give you a better example, shall we? Let's, uh, look at, say, for example, have you ever heard of a company called Casper, Jolyn? Mm -hmm. 
the mattress company? Yes, exactly. Casper the mattress uh, company. So, you know, the best, here's their slogan, the best bed, right? For better. But Mark, I do yeah. have to say that that other company, Purple. Oh yeah. Their, I mean, <laughs> marketing campaign. Look, listen. <laughs> I'm just saying that yeah. was really good. Yeah. So, but here's the thing. It, it kind of like, but the, notice this though, because we went from sleep number or let's say, mm-hmm. you know, mattress companies or whatever it is and Serta, all these other types of like mattress companies. to so now the, the new modern next generation of what we like, think about it, like something in which that is something that we look at like, oh, we're talking about mattresses here. Right. And then now all of a sudden, we're talking about something in the perspective of can we actually reinvent like bit like the mattress industry? Well, apparently you could. Um, so let's look at their value proposition now. Like, so when we think about Casper's value proposition, what helped them w- with that slogan was uh, the company became a leader in online mattresses. So instead of like your brick and mortar, they completely went online. So the online mattress industry by highlighting the better, the benefit of better sleep. So great quality mattress, but also being able to do it online without having to like literally haul it around and okay. see it on all these cars or possibly on a truck where, you know, you never know what can happen in that delivery process. So there's a strong value proposition there uh, in the sense of convenience for the customer. And that's something that really created a significant amount of competition for, let's say, again, other online brick and mortar mattress companies. Well, you know, one thing that also stands out about that whole online model is that, you know, before you would go to a mattress store, brick and mortar, and you'd be sitting on all these mattresses and, you know, all that and just no, I know that you're not going to get that floor model, but just the thought that everyone just the thought that everybody sat on that on that mattress. Exactly. <laughs> so like it coming from online, you know, and getting shipped directly to you, and then they take your mattress. Like the whole process of it is convenience, and it's also very like customer uh, friendly and customer focused, and I think that also adds to their value proposition. Okay. All right. So let's go a little bit further, right? So we're going to switch it over and let's go back to presentation. And I want to give everybody kind of like the rubric for tonight. So here is what you would see as a value proposition model. Um, So if you look at it on one side, we have gain creators, uh, products and services and pain relievers. And then on the other side, you have gains, pains, and customer jobs. So, mm-hmm. and we're going to, we're going to get into each and every single one of these segments and break it down. But before we do this, like, you know, really here's like kind of like the key crux, you know, of when we think about, um, when we think about a value proposition model. So we have something like called newness, right? And so value propositions based on innovation or novelty offering a unique and, you know, or a unique product or a unique service that satisfies an unmet need in the market. So that's that's pretty much the newness part of it. So it's like, it's something that we haven't seen before, something that wasn't available before. And then when we think about the next thing, we think about performance. Now you're not gonna see any of these things on your screen, so I'm testing y'all tonight. So that way you guys can like literally, you know, again, take notes. So the first thing was newness. The next thing is performance. So upgraded products or services that improve their overall performance, uh, providing more value to the customer. We we know many of those companies, right? That focus on, you know, once they've established a value proposition within the marketplace, now they focus on performance. 
All right, so then let's get into the next thing, personalization, right? Mm -hmm. So customized and tailored products and services that cater to specific customer needs and preferences, creating a sense of personal brand and value. So it's it's mine. Like it's like I, it's like there's there's tons of iPhones out there. There are many like it, but this one is mine. <laughs> So, I think it's a better example too, though. You say what? I think Tesla is a better example of that personalization piece. Oh, tis true. Tis true. But, you mm -hmm. know, I was trying hard not to use Tesla tonight, but, you know. Well, we gotta use Tesla. Hey, one, day we're, one day we're gonna use an episode where we will not even discuss Tesla. Tesla. Like, we, will, we will go one day where we don't discuss Tesla. All right, so then there's another one, which kind of like reigns pretty true. And I like each one of these things that I'm mentioning, I want you guys to think about like the type of, I want you guys to think about companies and apply them mm -hmm. to you like when you hear these things what's the first you know company that comes to mind okay. so the next one is status mm -hmm. so brands that offer superior design or quality giving customers a sense of prestige and exclusivity okay i'm okay so what's interesting about this list so far mark is that you can think of one company and it hits all these marks interesting we're gonna save that for a yeah. i'm just saying <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, but okay. Let's see how, it, you know, it's kind of like becoming a checklist for everybody. Mm -hmm. So like, just remember this, like, this is a checklist. Then we okay. got something called price offering a lower price point than competitors to attract price sensitive customers. Now, some mm -hmm. of these can be very industry specific. Some of them are mm -hmm. just like, oh, well, you know, we're a new kid on the block or whatever it may be. Uh, and then along with price, we have something called cost reduction. So improving the customer experience by reducing costs, such as simplified software or modular project or products. So okay. like, you know, where it's like you start to get a little bit more smaller and say, for example, utilizing space. Um, mm -hmm. And then on top of that, just that, well, we'll get into that word a little bit later. Risk reduction. Okay. okay. So providing extended warranties or guarantees to reduce the risk involved in a purchase. So like, for example, if you had to go buy something that had a lot of risk <laughs> towards buying mm -hmm. it, you know, in some cases you'd be like, oh man, my blood is pumping and everything else. And in other cases, it's like, ah, I'm out. <laughs> yeah. Or you need some time to think about it or something didn't go right. And now you don't change your mind. Okay. So now we're down to our final two. Mm -hmm. Accessibility. Accessibility is pretty much making products and services available to new customers uh, segments through business models or new technologies. Mm -hmm. Okay. So there's that. Mm -hmm. And then of course there's the final one, which, you know, come on convenience. Yeah. <laughs> so nope. it, it, well, convenience and usability, convenience okay. and usability. So they can kind of go hand in hand. So emphasizing the ease of use, uh, making products more intuitive and convenient, such as, you know, with streaming services, such as, uh, Netflix or Spotify. So instead of you having to go to the theater, it's available on day one on Netflix. Instead of you having to wait every week for a show to come out on HBO Max, the whole season has been available for you to binge watch. Now, each and every single one of these comes with its, you know, its trade-offs and everything else. Like, so for example, you know, if everybody just watches something on Netflix because of that convenience factor, mm -hmm. but yet at the same token, it's like, all right, everybody just watched it. Now what's next? Versus if you do it on the episodic uh, moment where, you know, they have to wait every single week. You can build up more anticipation. You can throw more marketing and ultimately potentially increase viewership over time. All right. So these are things that I want you guys to do. But yeah, they're saying, where's that diagram? Put it back, please. Don't worry. It's coming back. All right. 
So this is the basics of the value proposition model again. So it's here on your screen. Uh, don't worry, you can always come back and screenshot it. Um, it'll be here forever. All right, so let's talk about the process though, shall we? Yeah. Because value proposition has a process of how things move. So one, first things first, read the room. <laughs> <laughs> like, like, like sometimes you like have those friends out there where they just step into the conversation and they just start talking all that gaga or whatever it is. And it's just like not understanding who's all sitting in the room, like not understanding like who's really in the room right now. It's like, bro, or sis, read the room right now. All right. right. So and we do the same thing when it comes to value proposition. When we mean by read the room, it's pretty much means know their needs, pain points, and preferences. You know, you got to you gotta be able to have that type of temperature read. If you do not understand that, or if a company doesn't understand that, then nine times out of 10, they're going to be dead in the water, which, you know, many times we see this happen a lot of times where we see that companies are tone deaf. And essentially, it, it definitely makes sense. All right. So then the next one is that defining, you know, part portion of it, which is the who are you? You know, the unique selling proposition is what sets a product or service apart from its competitors. You know, there's uh, one of my favorite quotes is where Steve Jobs says, innovation is what separates leader from follower. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of like that same thing where some companies choose to focus on just purely innovation and that's what separates them from the rest of the pack. And then there's other folks that focus on, say, for example, yeah, we, we innovate, but we focus on spurts of innovation in which that we do it in an iterative process. Now, if you remember from some of our previous episodes, that will make sense when we talked about iterations, where it's that, that continuously getting better and better over time. All right. And then the other part is find your words. It's like, imagine like, you know, me rapping 1985 by J. Cole. <laughs> I'm not J. Cole. Uh, I can probably rap it in my own, you know, in my own alabaster box room or whatever it is. But yet at the same token, I'm not J. Cole. I'm not going to go rock the mic at an all-star break or like at Coachella or something like that. So again, find your words, clear, concise, and highlights the benefits of a product or service. So it yeah. literally when you go ahead, go ahead. No, go ahead, go ahead. So when you do those things, it's like it literally allows the company or we see it all the time where companies have their voice. And we'll get into it a little bit later where it's like you, you can kind of like pinpoint certain marketing like dialogues or certain things that you see in marketing where you're like, if a person, and, and I'm going to challenge y'all later on as your homework, and trust me, the homework is going to be fun. I promise you the homework will be fun. But it's like when you can, when you know the words of a company or when you can understand them and it's like you can make that connection, it's much more simpler. Go ahead, Jolene. Yeah, I was just going to add to the marketing piece that when um, you have, when you understand, especially you're looking at the read the room portion and you understand the needs and the pain, pain points and the preferences, then it's easier to, um, when you're creating the marketing piece as a company, I'm thinking of this from the company perspective, when you are part of the company and you are creating those marketing assets and collateral, then mm -hmm. the customer should feel like you are talking directly to them. Like, hey, I feel yep. attacked. Or how did how did they know my life? Or were they just listening to my conversation? Like that's how you know that you really like tapped into who that person is. Yeah. And the other part to that is, is that when somebody says something that's contrary, like we see this happen a lot where debates start about companies where mm -hmm. many times the company, if you notice, companies don't come out there and defend themselves. It's actually the consumers battling the other consumers from different vantage points 
literally speaking on behalf of the company. Like imagine that now in today's society where we talk about which brand is better than what or what product is better than what or what service is better than what. You don't like, yeah, you'll see the commercials, but when it comes to like this modern day area of social media, you don't see the companies out there doing that. They let their consumers do that. And that's yeah. actually was something that actually brought up for, for like uh, companies like Meta, where it's like, that's actually a tool that they use to literally lure in more advertisers because of the fact that they can track those conversations and -hmm. literally then start focusing specific advertisements. You guys see it all the time when you guys talk about certain things and the next thing you know, it shows up in your Amazon, like, hey, check this out. (laughs) Yeah, they listen it. But no, the funniest part, nobody goes harder than an Android user in a group chat with a bunch of iPhone users, like talking about like, you know, but my phone does this and it had this before yours and blah, blah, blah. Like I used to be that guy. (laughs) Oh Lord. I used to be that guy, you know, uh, honestly, I was, I was team HTC all the way and you couldn't tell me anything. And then I used to have HTC too. I was feeling it and then it broke. And the, then the relationship, the relationship had to move on. <laughs> when I realized that when I was sending those images to people and it was just like, nah, Yo, that right there, <laughs> that was a hard, that was it for me. Moment. That's a read the room moment. Like. <laughs> that was all right. So. Let's get into the next part. So let's start breaking down some of these sections. And so if you notice, I'm going from the right to the left instead of left to right. And there's mm-hmm. a reason there. So let's see if you guys can pick up on why I'm doing this. So let's talk about customer jobs. So customer jobs are the functional, uh, social, and emotional tasks that customers are trying to perform, the problems they are trying to solve, and the needs they want to meet. So it's pretty much like this is the part, this is the, many times the area when we look at customer behavior, the things in which that they're going through or the, or like really getting the ultimate temperature of the room to understand exactly what does the customer, what does the customer currently have to do mm-hmm. in order to reach any destination? All right. So which therein is led by, of course, pain. <laughs> so the negative experiences, emotions and risks that the, that the client experiences in the process of doing the work. So that's like, okay. The best way to put it is, you know, if I wanted to, if I wanted to like literally go and like, let's say I look at it in the sense of this, when I look at social media, one of the biggest things that I hate about social media is that in order to get to certain things, I have to go to link in the bio. Yeah. I can't stand that because <laughs> if I have to go to the link, of, if I have to go to the link in the bio, then that's a problem. Not going to do it. I'm, You're just not going to do it. Out. Or another thing that we can look at is like, let's take sports, for example, let's take sports. So imagine all the imagine all the young athletes out there, the amateur athletes that are literally trying to put themselves in a place where they can be seen by recruiters or schools or programs and everything else. But they're not seen because they're, they're they get caught up in, in, in a lot of it. And the biggest problem is because of the fact that there's not a lot of stat keeping and everything else, which puts them at a huge disadvantage. That's a pain point for them because if they're giving their all in the basketball court and also putting up points on the board or like putting in work on the court, you know, and then it's like it's not being returned back to them because of the fact that they probably live in, let's say, an area where nobody goes to look. Mm -hmm. Well, that's a huge pain point. So, again, how will they ever be seen? How do they get recruited? And then there's a lot of great talent that gets lost in the pipeline. We've seen this happen within recruiting at companies where it's like there's a lot of great candidates that get lost in the talent pool because of the fact that, okay, hey, I may not have gone to Harvard or I may not have gone to MIT, but yet at the same token, I know how to write some of the most beautiful code that you will have ever seen. But I may not be the first crack because of the fact that the ATS system probably categorizes me incorrectly. Mm. And those are major pain points that you see for the customer. So knowing those things, knowing, say, for example, the pain point 
of let's say any particular user, you know, those things can be significantly major. Now, Mark, we have to talk about the pain point on Instagram because you know Meta was listening and you know Meta was biting off Twitter, all that. But <laughs> to you know now the verification charging, now charging for verification twelve dollars right, but that's for desktop. If you're using it on your phone, then it's fifteen dollars a month basically. Um, and so it's like. All the complaints, because one thing I did notice, Mark, as more impersonation accounts started to pop or impersonator accounts started to pop up, the response from um, Instagram was like crickets. It was either crickets (laughs) or they're like, oh, it doesn't violate community guidelines. And even if you like copy and paste it exactly, you know, put your lawyer hat on and like word for word, they still weren't trying to hear it. So now they're like, okay, now we have this. We've listened to the pain points of the customer. Customer. And we saw that it works with with Twitter. Right. We were, they were just twin their thumbs, just standing by, like, is this going to work? And so now they're going to do that. So now there's this other conversation about the dilution of the verification um, badge or whatever. And so they're going to be listening to that conversation, too, as the consumers, quote unquote, duke it out. I think that they should just come up with unique badge systems that literally, like, you know, highlights, like, who specifically people are. But I think that they should have that one universal badge that lets you know that you're talking to a real person. Mm-hmm. If Instagram or the folks at Meta are listening to me. But you, well, know, you see how that solves a significant pain point. But mm-hmm. then at the same token, it's like it also produces what I was when I'm actually getting ready to go into the next thing. But go ahead. Do you, I was going to say that now businesses have to wait, too, because <laughs> they don't have yes. a way to verify like with the government ID. Anyway, it's a whole thing. But. You know, we'll see. We'll keep our eye on this to see what happens. Because so, so um, let's before we talk about this next section, let's talk yeah. about one of the problems. And you know, let's talk about like some. Since we talked about pains, let's you know, mm-hmm. let's talk about some of the mistakes. Okay. You know, because there's a lot of mistakes that a lot of companies make, whether private or even publicly traded companies work on. Like for example, I'll give you a prime example. A lot of folks didn't even know what Palantir's business was. They didn't understand its value. They didn't understand any of anything. And there was a lot of folks that were making investments on Palantir. Now, don't get me wrong. They just reported a successful quarter. But I'm just saying, like, you know, there was a lot that was built in where a lot of folks didn't really understand, like, what was its value as a company or to the marketplace. And so here are some of the pain points. Here are some of the things that I see in common mistakes when I sit down uh, with, like, startups or when I see businesses here are some of the cautionary flags or potential red flags that I see uh, when I look at a business. Um, first things first, um, they focusing on features instead of benefits. You know, I see a lot of this take place where everybody mm-hmm. wants to add in the a la carte of features. Like everybody wants to have, like they want to create companies that are just as big as Google, not re- or Amazon or, you know, Facebook or Meta, whatever you want to call them, or, you know, many of the other software-based companies and not realize that they all started off small and focus on one particular thing that was beneficial to the customer. So this mistake happens when a company emphasizes the features of its product or service rather than how those features benefit the customer. Mm -hmm. So when they're focusing on features instead of benefits, this can lead to a value proposition that is too, like you've, you've probably seen it sometimes, a company that is too technical or mm-hmm. difficult for the customer to understand or that fails to differentiate the company's products from other competitors. That's a major, that's a major piece. Um, another one is not addressing, you know, so this, whew, this one's a heavy one. <laughs> not addressing the target audience's pain points. So it's Which like, you know, 
<laughs> forget your whole pain point, <laughs> but I'm going to do this. I'm about to do so, this cool thing right here. <laughs> this mistake happens when a company fails to understand the specific needs and pain points of its target audience and therefore fails to create a value proposition that addresses those needs. I, If I had a dollar for every single time I've heard a startup pitch or I've read a pitch deck that doesn't address those things and it's not very clear, mm-hmm. it's like, oh, I mean, honestly, I, I think I would probably just make money off of not having to even invest. I would just make money off of all the bad pitch decks and bad pitches that I've had to sit in on. So, but why does that matter, y'all? Um, so this can lead to a value proposition that is not relevant or meaningful to potential customers, simply put. Mm -hmm. Um, so if it's not, if it's not relevant and if it's not meaningful, then why is it that your customers should use it? All right. So the other one that we commonly see is a lack of differentiation. And now you're going to see this a lot, especially now that we've gotten a lot of AI, uh, a, a lot of folks out there looking to test AI. There's mm-hmm. going to be like a lot of companies that are not going to be very well at differentiating themselves from the next person. So, for example, this mistake happens when a company's value proposition is not unique or distinctive enough to differentiate its product or service from uh, its competitors. Now, simply put, this can lead to a lack of interest from potential customers and ultimately lower sales. The best example that I can give you for that one of lack of differentiation is Kmart. Who? Kmart, exactly. <laughs> and then the next one that I can give you as it pertains to not addressing the target audience's pain points, mm-hmm. I would say is JCPenney. Mm. You notice how JCPenney has had to go through rebranding after rebranding after rebranding, and yet it hasn't changed the business at all. And so, you know, what their value proposition of fair and square pricing, it failed to address the pain points and needs of its target audience, resulting in declining sales and profits. Mm. All right. And then when we look at, say, for example, um, there's, there's one that I didn't list on here. And it was like pretty much being too vague or generic. Okay. So I kind of talked about this a little bit earlier, but... This mistake happens when a company's value proposition is too broad or general and fails to differentiate the company's product or service from competitors. Now, this can lead to a lack of interest from potential customers and ultimately lower sales, just like you know the rest of them. Now, who can I probably put in this category? Let's go with Sears. So their value proposition is shop your way. I don't know why, but again, that's their value proposition. It was too vague and too generic to appeal to any customers to differentiate the company from any of the other competitors out there. Mark, Sears. Okay, first of all, when you think of Sears, right, like me personally, I think of tires. Yeah, I just think of like tools, like, you know, stuff like that. Remember when they had um, they changed their branding to um, come see the softer side of Sears? Because they're trying to tap into, you know, the the counterpoints, like, you know, to the the guys that were coming in there. And it just didn't make sense because who is going to Sears to to shop like you don't want to have that type of shopping experience where you're surrounded by big old tires and like what? (laughs) Like next to the changing room, like you don't that's not they were so confused. That's that's not it. made their customer or potential customers confused. So then it's like, when we're looking at all this, your value proposition really is like your like bat signal, you know, like those that it's meant for, they're going to see it. If it, if your signal's strong enough, if it's weak, 
you know, Batman's not coming to save the day. <laughs> you know, if it's too weak, you're going to be left in the street. It's like, yo, I put the signal in the sky. Look, man, you need to change your batteries or whatever it is because I didn't see it. <laughs> all like, what's going on? It's the thing on. <laughs> and it ain't. Okay. Okay. So let's look at the next thing, which is pretty much the gains. So the gains is pretty much the benefits that the customer expects and needs, which would delight customers and things that can increase the likelihood of adopting a value proposition. So customer has a checklist of jobs, of things that, that needs to get done, but at the same token, there's significant pain points that could potentially impede their progress to reaching set, a certain destination, which therein they're looking to gain something. And so if you build a strong value proposition model, then there has to be a gain for the customer. If there is no gain, then pretty much it's pretty much practically worthless. Somebody said something about it's about to be Neiman Marcus. Ha ha, tone deaf. That is a fact. No, we need to talk about Neiman Marcus then. So, yeah. so go ahead. Switching, right? So Neiman Marcus basically said, look, we ain't going to be dealing with y'all that ain't spending more than $27,000 a year. We're going to stick to our target. Now they're saying this is their target customer. Those are the ones that are going to spend that much per year because they don't want to um, waste their time on someone who's just going to come in for that one off purchase. Like I get their logic mark, but then also we need to look back at like the pandemic times. Like we really need to look at the data and see who was supporting keeping their business afloat. Now, if it was people that, you know, have their stimulus checks and like, Oh, I'm about to run up in Neiman Marcus right quick and get the, or whatever. Yeah, you got those no more. <laughs> so, it's just really interesting how like they are switching to that. And I, I want to follow it to see, you know, how that pans out for them. Yeah. I'm definitely going to be following that uh, as well, because, you know, I really want to see how that like literally plays out. Like, like really, even with the really merchandise, even with the merchandise, <laughs> yeah. the discounted stuff, who's buying that? We just really got to think about that. So if they're going to get rid of that and only have like, you know, exclusive limited edition looks off the runway for X, Y, and Z, you know, clientele, it's just going to be really interesting because I'm also trying to I'm also thinking about like what stands out about Neiman Marcus when you have like Nordstrom's too. like what stands out. Nordstrom's is a whole other conversation that we don't have time to get into, but there's a lot to talk about there as well. But we just look at Neiman Marcus. It's like, OK, hmm. so what else are you offering? It's going to be interesting. We got to keep our eye on it. That's what I'm gonna say. <laughs> We're going to have to invite somebody from Neiman Marcus to actually, you know, speak on it because clearly I cannot. All right, so check this out. I think this is you, Jolyn. Wait, who's you know, on the screen? That's me or whatever, you know, a little. Okay. <laughs> we, got, we got digital Jolyn in the building. Okay, so <clears throat> I'm going to read this for, you know, those that are listening via audio. So let me get my audio voice button. No, I'm just kidding. All right, so before launching a product, it is crucial, y'all, to understand the target market and gather information about their needs, their preferences, and their habits. We've been talking about this and you can tell by, you know, the companies that are actually doing well and have like a specific target um, market and the target market also knows who they are. Like they know that that company is talking to them and is for them. Then you know that they've done their work on this. So as nice, far as nice, creating nice. value. But Mark, there are other ways. Well, what's interesting about this creating value piece is that, okay, this is this is more so like in the sense of like a company, right? Like 
Yep. You know, you understand your target market and all that. But when we think about like ourselves, like as mm-hmm. people, it becomes an interesting conversation as well. It's like, okay, well, how am I creating value as an individual? You know, yep. what do I bring to the table? Um, that's also something to to think about, especially and also the people in your lives. Like, what are they bringing to the table? Because some people need to get cut. Okay. <laughs> Listen. Like I said, a lot of the things that we teach here at the Come Up series, if you really just take some time to just to think about it, a lot of the a lot of the business things that we teach here are pretty much multifaceted. That's one of the things that I shout out to Louis Saint Cyr, my grandfather, for definitely you know for like literally helping me understand that you know pretty much business is life and life is business because of the fact that a lot of these things are interchangeable. A lot of these mm-hmm. concepts are, you know, like when we think about value proposition, you know, the people in whom which I choose to associate myself with, what type of value do they bring to my life? And the same thing when I look at it from the other side, what type of value that I do I bring to them? You know, am I bringing value? Am I helping solve any potential pain points that they may be experiencing that also leads to a certain gain? Or mm-hmm. am I a person that's actually causing the pain points? Are they causing pain points? So something to keep into perspective. But, you know, I digress. <laughs> Now let's look at let's look at the other side of this token. Okay. Let's look at products and services. Now products and services, you know, we got this one. You know, products and services that create gains and relieve pain, and that sustain the creation of value for the customer. So I I feel like that one's pretty self-explanatory, right? You think? Yeah, products and services. Okay. Mm-hmm. So let's go into a case study, shall we? Yes. All right. So let's look at this thing. Uh, Think differently or think different. Mm -hmm. All right. So Apple's effective value proposition is the iPhones. And then this was their initial uh, this was their initial like a slogan or value proposition for, you know, the iPhone or just for the company in general, the way that they created products. Like if you think about like the Mac products that they created a long time ago, like Mm -hmm. each and every single Mac lineup from that initial Mac lineup, literally it's different, significantly different when you look at it from a design perspective, from a software perspective, from a user experience perspective, in comparison to folks that use Windows PCs. What does that look like? If you notice, you know, a lot of the Windows based PCs all kind of look alike versus when you look at Apple's product. You could t- you could spot an Apple product out of say for example a pack of many other products and that's kind of like how they've always done it from their iMac lineup when they had that colorful desktop to mm-hmm. then now having the all-in-one uh, iMac then also having Mac Mini and then Mac Studio products you know that's how they've always thought about things in a different way but now they've also changed it and brought that value proposition across multiple different facets and let's see if you guys can spot the language here. The ultimate iPhone uh, value proposition, which effectively communicates the benefits of the latest iPhone model, including its improved camera, battery, life, and processing power. Now, we've gotten to a place in iterations where, okay, we've seen so many different, like, so many iterations where it's kind of like starting to seem like, okay, it's not very much of an upgrade. Though that we hear about what's inside, and then, of course, we hear about the new camera and everything else, but is that really very much so? But if you ever notice, like, and this is kind of like to the speaks to the genius of Apple. If you ever go back and I challenge anybody to do this, go back and watch an Apple product announcement. They they'll always say that this is the best iPhone ever created. Yeah. Well, it's that type of loaded language that literally like the psychology breaks into the customer saying, okay, it really makes you think like, okay, hey, the way that they dressed it, the way that they attack every single pain point, the way that like companies had started using, and they actually took this from uh, Samsung actually, where Apple started to, well, 
Samsung's looking for Microsoft, but pretty much what they, they would do is they would provide user scenario experiences on screen. So at mm -hmm. Samsung's Unpacked event, they like probably provide you multiple different experiences that they would probably think that you, the user, would probably experience. And the same thing that Microsoft used to do for Windows-based products or Office products. And then Apple does the same thing for its products as it pertains to how is it that you can use it. So what made everybody want to go out there and buy the Apple Watch Ultra, knowing that none of these folks are hikers, none of these folks actually do any type of outdoorsy stuff, but they went and spent seven or what was it, almost $1,000 on that Apple Watch. <laughs> it's that type of mindset and thinking where if you create something that has such a strong value proposition and when people buy Apple products, they know like, okay, hey, I know that this is what I'm buying. And so it's that quality. It's that that exclusiveness. It's that, you know, those types of things in which that boom, you know, really creates the atmosphere for Apple. Okay, so let's get into the next thing. Um, let's talk about pain relievers, you know, and pretty much Pain relievers are an accurate description of how the product or service relieves the customer's pains. So if you notice, there's th there was three things on one side and then there's three things on the other side. And so if there's pain, there's got to be a pain reliever. If there's a customer job, there's got to be a product and service. You see where I'm going with this? Yes. Okay. So when we look at the next thing, if there's a gain, there's got to be a gain creator. So how the product or service generates gains for the customer and how it adds value to the customer. So, you know, one of the reasons why I shared initially, and I'm going to have to go all the way back so that way everybody can do this because you're going to need this, this document or just, you know, draw it up on, draw this up on your own, uh, on your own sheet. What I want you to do is I want you to take a company and I want you to like literally write what is like, what is pretty much the customer job? What are the pains and what are the gains that mm -hmm. you think that that company like really keeps in mind? And then on the flip side, what is it that when the company comes forth, they're that they're that part in between, that transitionary part from what that company creates as a product or service, what gains does it create? And then also what pain does it relieve? And just, you know, when you when you can do that, you understand the true value of what that company brings to the table. OK, let's get on to the let's get on to it. Let's 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 transition it a little bit, shall we? Mm -hmm. All right. So remember where I talked about importance a little bit earlier? Yes. In the conversation. So this is the part where we said, you know, stand out, stay loyal and grow the power of a strong value proposition. I want you guys to write that down or put it in chat. Stand out, stay loyal and grow. Stand out, stay loyal and grow. Those are the key ingredients for literally any business being successful, whether you're a startup or you're a large corporation. They live and die by that mantra. So developing a value proposition requires a deep understanding of customer needs and pain points. All right. So, you know, this can help a company to better serve its customers. This can lead to improved customer satisfaction and loyalty, as well as, again, increased sales and revenue growth. All right. So when we talk about it, so I, I've actually broke it out you know, for y'all, like where I said, stand, stand out, stay loyal and grow. So what does that look like? Stand out, differentiation, stay loyal, build customer loyalty, and then grow revenue growth. Yeah, like that. that would be like, that's pretty much going to be, you know, the existence of when we see a successful company, successful companies have revenue growth, successful companies have strong customer loyalty, successful companies, you can, they can literally differentiate themselves fairly quickly 
and you can see it without having to really need an explanation. All right, so when we talk about differentiation from competitors, strong value proposition can differentiate a company's product or service from its competitors. Helping to attract and retain customers, for example, when we, like I said, when I looked at Apple's Think Different, it helped to differentiate the company from its competitors by appealing to customers who valued creativity, innovation, and originality. And if you notice, that's still been the lifeblood of Apple. You know, again, creativity, innovation, and always keep it original. That's the recipe. Now, of course, increased customer loyalty. You know, when we think about that, you know, pretty much a value proposition model that effectively communicates the benefits of a company's product or service that can lead to increased customer loyalty. So for example, let's use Amazon. Amazon's proposition of Earth's, of Earth's most uh, customer-centric company helped to create a loyal customer base by focusing on the customer and providing a wide selection of products and fast shipping. So for a company that was very much so customer-focused and customer-first, look at how the company has been able to scale and grow so fast. Like that's literally their lifeblood. If you talk to anybody who works at Amazon, Q4 is like the time where it's like a lot of, by the time when Q4 is over, a lot of those folks are running on fumes. They need to, they need to break, they go on vacation. Why? Because Amazon focuses on zero downtime, always scalable, and then always on time, always making sure that things get there. Now, of course, we went through a pandemic, so that kind of shook things up. But yet at the same token, look at what they did. They successfully did two-day shipping. Then they got into one-day shipping. Now they're experiencing things like one-hour, two-hour uh, delivery. And then pretty soon, they're going to start getting into probably instant delivery based upon what is it that they've done. And that's always been customer focus. I remember back in the day when Amazon, if, if something was wrong, Mm-hmm. Or let's say that you had a bad shipment, they'd say keep it and we'll still refund you. Oh, <laughs> uh, I've had a couple of those recently. Still to the lifeblood of the company. Mm-hmm. Well, Mark, <laughs> what's interesting about Amazon is that they totally like like fundamentally changed like how I personally relate to shipping. Because before, you know, in brick and mortar, you're like, no, I want to get it and then bring it home. But now that shipping is faster, it's like, you know, okay, I can I can manage this. But if shipping takes too long, it almost makes you not want to buy it. You're just like, Correct. Oh, I'm good. Well, think about this though, Jolyn. Think about the customer changes. Look at the look at the, the customer changes that also had to take place. Mm-hmm. A customer once upon a time went to the store to try things out. Yep. You will see new products that show up on Amazon and <laughs> you don't even need to try it out. You'll just buy it. That's true. If you're that person, just go ahead and type yes in chat. <laughs> All right, let me type it. <laughs> <laughs> if you've even just done it once, just type yes in chat. <laughs> well, right. also because you know Amazon will take it back if you're not happy. And it's yes. easy. returns are easy. Very, very easy. Somebody said, if shipping isn't free, we reevaluate the purchase. <laughs> Period. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Period. <laughs> All right. So which leads us into the final thing where we talk about revenue growth, right? And notice that they're, they're kind of like pillars that build upon each other. A strong rev- value proposition can help to attract new customers, which old, AKA drive sales. And then of course, from those sales that are being driven, it leads to revenue growth for the company. For example, let's look at a company like Uber. You okay. know, their value proposition is effortless, reliable transportation. Mm-hmm. You know, that's kind of like been their thing. It's like, okay, hey, we make it effortless. So that way you just, you know, pick up an Uber. Like, cause once upon a time you had to like literally call a yellow cab or call a friend oh, and ask them to come God. pick you up. Yeah. Like, 
for those that don't know, for the, if you're younger, then you'll never have to experience that unless you don't use Uber and you still have to call friends to take you to the airport or somewhere like that. All right. So if we think about it, like, here's what they did. They used that effortless, uh, reliable transportation to attract customers who valued convenience, reliability, and ease of use leading to the company's success in the ride-sharing industry, mm-hmm. which ultimately grew their revenue. And you're starting to see it now. Like, I mean, think about what they're doing now as it pertains to effortless, reliable trans- transportation. If you live in New York, if you're like, let's say if you're in New York <laughs> and it's like, okay, hey, am I going to spend all that time to get like, let's say that I got to get to the airport fairly quickly. Right. Now, it could probably cost you a hundred bucks to get from downtown Manhattan all the way to JFK. But what Uber's doing now is helicopter. <laughs> so... What they're doing is the same price that you could possibly be paying for that Uber ride. You can literally just go to one of those buildings in Manhattan and hop on a helicopter ride and get a nice view of the city and yeah. be there and make your flight. Seamless. That's and now that we got now that we got uh, electric uh, planes in the air, you know, hey, game over. But, you know, I wish somebody finds that episode where we talked about that, because I said I think I actually called the time frame of where we would get to. But You, you know, probably did, Mark. You know, I it's kind of cheating because I'm, you know. <laughs> No. investors know <laughs> yeah you see now you guys see the hashtag investors know mm-hmm. boom there it is all right so but then greatness it, it builds greatness right when we think about a lot of these companies we think about greatness but greatness gets tested and so the test of greatness once a value proposition has developed or has been developed um, it's important to test it to ensure that it effectively communicates the benefits of the product or service to potential customers So when we talk about testing value, like a value proposition, it involves gathering feedback from customers or, you know, potential customers also uh, to understand their perceptions. uh, They're, you know, pretty much of what is it that they feel about the product or service. So and, and what value it provides. So how do we do that? We do it in two different, so we do it in two ways. We test and we refine. Mm -hmm. So if you were listening back to when we were talking about uh, like the iteration cycle, where I was like, you know, like giving you that lean startup model, that lean startup methodology. Well, this is where that process comes into play, where it's continuous. It's not even just startups. It's any industry that you think about. They always come forth with the way they come out with a product or service. They test it. And then essentially they, after they've released it in the wild, now they go into the next process of refining. So like, for example, chat GPT, for those of you that don't know, you know, some of us have been using chat GPT for probably like two to three years now, whereas the general public is now talking about chat GPT because they just learned about it here in 2023. So perspective. Um, so when we talk about refining va- the value proposition model, right, it involves using the feedback gathered from testing to make improvements and adjustments to the value proposition. So this can include clarifying language. So improving the language so that way it's much more clear. Um, It can also be emphasizing different different, uh, benefits. So that way it's like that, like your the benefit of what you bring to the customer is very succinct, very clear and understandable. And then on top of that, targeting a different customer segment. So we see that also happen as well. So if you realize, oh, okay, hey, like we we typically call that A-B testing. We'll test it on with group A and then we'll test it with group B. We'll learn from those things and then essentially we'll refine those. And then essentially by that time, we'll release it to the masses and we have some type of critical mass number that we focus on. Okay, so there's a goal to testing and refining though. So the goal of this is, is that, you know, to ensure that it effectively communicates one, the unique value that the company's product and service provides. So Mm -hmm. that's, that's very clear. 
the other part is it addresses the pain points and potential customers uh, of, you know, so potential customers, you understand their pain points. And of course, it differentiates from the company uh, of competitors. So those are the main things. So again, let's make sure we hit that again. It addresses the pain points. Mm-hmm. It also differentiates the comp- the the cost. So it addresses the pain points of the potential customer. Um, and then on top of that, it differentiates from uh, other competitors. So which leads us into homework time. <laughs> it leads us into homework time. So if you guys think about it, because this is going to be the close of pretty much this is the close of this this segment of where we talk about business models, product market fit and you know value proposition. If you're an entrepreneur out there, what we've just given you over the past three weeks is something that you can t- definitely just go ahead and apply right now. So if you've been working on a pitch deck, take the information that you've been gathering over the last three weeks and apply it towards your pitch deck. If you're a business that's literally looking to expand, take this information of what we've given you and essentially look at, okay, hey, how if I'm looking to scale my business, how can I do it? If you're an investor that's trying to understand like, okay, hey, what company should I be invested into? Understand its value proposition right now as it stands today. Like what do customers think about it? Like what is the, what is the, what is the customer relationship? What does that intimacy look like? It does the product market fit today. Like I said last night, does the economics support the business and does the business complement the economics? You know, because when economic systems change or when we go through economic cycles, so too does the business. The business also adjusts. And so and also understanding the business model. So if you can understand the business model, you can understand the product market fit. And if you can understand the value proposition, you can probably make a sound investment. So. You know, those are things in which that I want you guys to look at as your homework. So what I want you to do, here's your objective. I want you to identify a company with a strong value proposition that is poised for growth and a solid investment opportunity. And if I and if you can, I want you to post it on social media and I want you to tag us. I want you to tag us. So here's the homework again. Identify a company with a strong value proposition that is poised for growth and a solid investment opportunity. Make a video, short form video, or it could just be a posting on Twitter. We want to hear from y'all. You know, we want the, and, and also apply these things into your daily life as well. You know, look at the, for those of you that, you know, okay, you're already invested. Let's say that you've already, like, let's say that you're already working, you know, examine whether or not your company that you work for today. So if you're just an employee that works at a company, you can use this to really examine and get a nice temperature of the room of where your of where the company that you work for currently stands. I'll give you an example. There was a gentleman that I met at the barbershop a long time ago and found out that he worked at Nordstrom <laughs> and he was on the software side at Nordstrom. And, you know, we were just talking and he was like, well, what are your thoughts on, you know, Nordstrom? And I was like, mm, I'd say run away, <laughs> run away as soon as you can go find someplace else. And over and this was back in 2018 that we talked about Nordstrom, okay. and, you know, the company. And I was like, you know, honestly, I strongly believe that this company does like they're a great they're great. Like, honestly, if you meet the Nordstrom family, they are amazing. They are some of the nicest people that you will ever meet. I've had the privilege of meeting some of the members of that family. They're super duper cool. But I mean, I'm going to keep it 100 with you all as well and letting you know that, again, that like Nordstrom has missed out on a lot of great opportunities, though, that they're not afraid to take risks, but they they're willing to take risks. 
But by the time they're, they're willing to take a risk, it's kind of a little too late. Mm. And I think that honestly, that they didn't take the time, the necessary time to innovate successfully. And that literally has been a significant stain on that company. And so when I had told this individual that, you know, he wanted to fight me tooth and nail on it. I said, okay, you know what? Just examine the value proposition and the current product market fit for Nordstrom today. And he was like, well, we're in a brilliant position. You could really sit there and tell me with a straight face when everybody's turning to e-commerce. Well, we've got that too. But at the same token, what you don't have is a system where somebody can come through and undercut your prices, which ultimately leaves you high and dry. What you also have is a brick and mortar. You have a lot of real estate that's brick and mortar, whereas there's other folks that are literally just direct to consumer. And that literally poses a challenge for you. You know, and he was like, well, how should we, how should we switch it up? Gave him my ideas and everything else. Where's Nordstrom at today? The same company. That's mm-hmm. still struggling in this arena and their prices for a lot of their products are t- they tend to be priced pretty high, which also prices some certain folks that used to be a part of a demographic that once upon a time used to go shopping like that. Now, all of a sudden, it's not there anymore. Whoa. Again, solid, solid, like solid, like, you know, people like they're great people. But yet the business is also struggling. I was going to say that, like, now we see the customer demographic changing so the older group that would go in and have like their own personal shopper or whatever their personal salesperson um that model is not necessarily the model for the younger generation so as their their main population you know sorry to be so crass like dies off um then now they have to figure out like what that new um what that new thing that is, is. going to be for the, the, you know, they have like the app, um, which is, which is nice. Um, but I'm also thinking about like, what are some of those other things? Cause I don't necessarily think that the younger population values that level of customer service as much. You I know, think the younger, I think the younger generation looks at things in a sense as it pertains to speed. Things are much faster now. And now that they've they've seen a certain speed, it's kind of like that's become their norm. Like whenever we see innovations take place to the folks in whom much that are going through that innovation, this is amazing. But to the folks in whom much that are born during that innovation, then that's their norm. You know, that's that's the part now. Is it all lights out for a company like Nordstrom? Absolutely not. There are a ton of opportunities in which that they can look at. And like literally refocus and reshape their like the entire business. You know, some of those opportunities are, you know, think more so microservices when it comes to the the business of Nordstrom. You know, also think about it in the sense of, you know, really thinking about it in the sense of content focus. If you can, you know, since we're in the world of content, like try to embed, you know, that into the business model. Also try to refine the source so that way you can cut down turnover time. So that way it's like people don't have to sit there and walk around all the time, but essentially they can either digitally shop or they can literally use kiosks to essentially provide them things. Another thing that they can do is they can get into, they can place their products uh, or certain test products within certain markets. It's amazing to me how we don't see a lot of vending machines that actually sell a lot of like clothing and merchandise uh, in specific areas. Like we see in other areas, like around the world, like in Japan or in Korea, where it's very much so a booming business. You're talking about multi-billion dollar businesses that just really haven't really taken off here. It's so slow to take off here, but it may be time to possibly look at that as a potential opportunity. That's solid. Yeah. We're just going to have to see. All of these type of retail stores, we're just going to have to see what happens. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> look at Macy's, but you know that's a whole other story. <laughs> that's a whole other story. Y'all, uh, so... 
I hope that each and every single one of you were able to get to grab value. Uh, if you were, throw uh, an emoji in the chat. Um, and also be sure to like, subscribe, and also we want to hear your comments down below. Go ahead and write them down below because we want to hear from you and gather your feedback, gather your thoughts on what is it that you've learned or what is it that you heard and what is it that you gathered and also what are your opinions. Um, again, we would love to see what your homework is because I think that that would be super duper dope. But until next time, I'm Mark Monroe. And I'm Jillian GC in the place to be. And this has been Executive Education. We'll see you in the next one. Peace, y'all.